0: time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. The message today is entitled, The Journey of Faith. The Journey of Faith. Let's pray. Mighty God of Heaven, When you called me, I was but a child. And step by step, you've grown me up in this journey of faith. And I pray today that you will unveil the secret of your word. That today we could grow in you that we could understand. Lord, quicken by the Holy Spirit what you've given me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I was raised in a legalistic church with a list of do's and don'ts. I tried as hard as I could to do everything I was supposed to do, and not do everything I was not supposed to do. It was good religion, but it wasn't good Christianity. The word Christian means Christ follower. It doesn't mean a set of rules or regulations. It doesn't mean a set of rituals. It means you follow Jesus. And the early Christian church, they were not called Christians until Antioch, Some 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. They were called people of the way or people of the path. So when I finally fired my bishop, left the church, left the ministry in that church. Began to look for a place where I thought there was some life where I could grow and learn about Jesus. The first place I turned as friends spoke with me was to something very positive. Robert Shuler in the Crystal Cathedral and the positive message that he was speaking, a message of love, of acceptance, of strategies for winning. I went out to California twice to attend his week-long seminars in how to grow a church. And we modeled the church after what Robert Schuler had done. And within the first year, we were over 300 people. We grew very rapidly. We did radio. We did television on Channel 7. We were the rock and roll go-go church. We had all the programs going. We had the unemployment program called third base where we placed over a thousand people a year into jobs and it was all at no cost and finally after a number of years I became so depressed and so discouraged I was traveling a lot I was holding workshops and seminars I was exhausted And I finally came to the place where I recognized that the church had been built by my ability to market guerrilla marketing. It was not based on the Word of God. It was based on personality. We had five full-time staff. It was a go-go church. My heart grew so hungry for God. I came to a place where I no longer... Intellectually or emotionally could believe that God even existed. All I saw was human flesh effort. I saw psychotherapy, became trained as a pastoral psychotherapist. Saw everything through eyes of relationships. Taught everything from the scripture out of a base of relationship. I began to listen to others. Many you would recognize in the church growth movement, Peter Wagner, that now has the prayer center in Colorado Springs, became friends with him, turned to pastors who were very successful and were teaching name-it-and-claim-it kinds of theology, The whole movement that grew up around that, coming out of holiness but no longer holy. I could name many of those people uh, who now preach Creferl Dollar, Heidi Baker. Uh, A whole group of these people flowed out of also the Toronto Blessing, as it was called. I went to the Toronto Blessing and found that it was not a blessing. Uh, It was not of the Holy Spirit. It was of a kundalini spirit, laughter, twitching, rolling on the floor, barking like dogs. And then I discovered that in Korea, the Buddhists do the same kinds of things. Pagans do the same kind. It's the spirit And if all you want is the Spirit, the Spirit's out there. And you can get the Kundalini Spirit. It's very popular in America today. Whole churches are being built around what they call the Holy Spirit in the anointing. It's not the Holy Spirit, it's the Kundalini Spirit of paganism. I had to find my way through all of that garbage and that nonsense. And then finally, the Lord said, close the church. It's not mine, it's yours. If you want me, close it. And through many movings of the Holy Spirit, my wife and I closed that church. And for the next seven years, had no public ministry, but just spent our time in prayer and scripture. In the process, obviously, what would happen to you if you stopped working and had no income for seven years? Well, the same thing that happened to us. We lost our house, two houses. We lost two cars. We lost our retirement money. We lost our savings. We got stripped of everything and ended up homeless. But God was in the midst of it. I'm not recommending any of you do this, please. I'm just telling you the journey I had to go on to begin to understand what God was doing, and through those seven years of reading from Genesis to Revelation more than 50 times, God planted a message in my heart of repentance. And then he brought David Wilkerson into my life from Times Square Church. Never forget David Wilkerson shaking his finger in my face, saying, preach judgment with mercy. It's been a struggle to to try to grow in a true understanding of the Word of God. I know today that if I went out and did the same thing I did years ago, within six months this place would be jammed with people. I know that. It's just flesh. But when we begin to talk about real repentance, and when we begin to talk about The things I want to share with you today thins the crowd down. I think it was Pastor Womack who said he could take a mega church. And if he preached in it, he'd empty it out. And the thousands would be gone. And he'd have a small fellowship. Because there's something about the gospel of Jesus Christ that goes so radically against human flesh wisdom, that goes against what we so desire to be successful and powerful and popular. Jesus was not that. And if we want to follow Jesus Christ today in the midst of the culture of nonsense that we live in, We're going to have to become very serious about the word of God. Never forget. Brother Ed. Gave me a book. By Malcolm Lavender, the sinning Christian. And I made the mistake. Of taking that with me as I left the following week for two weeks vacation in Florida. He ruined my vacation. Jan and I didn't go to the beach. We sat and read that book to one another. And for two weeks, we're on our faces before God. And for the first time, we left Florida with no shells. We hadn't been out to the ocean. We were shut up in that little hidey cave of a motel room, reading that book. And out of the study of that, the discovery the amazing discovery that we could be completely set free of our sin. And I'll never forget the night I came right after that vacation and preached that new understanding of the gospel and lost about 30% of the church that night. People walked out in droves and said, we're not coming back. This is foolishness. Said, Lord, this is your church. I'm not going to preach to make people like it. I'm going to preach what you give me. And if they walk out, it's all right. But that message took root in my heart. And I went back to my roots of Wesleyanism and began to study the writings of John Wesley. Then I went to others. I began to understand what was happening in the Reformed Church Versus the Armenian church. I began to understand what God expects of us. And I've preached that consistently for all of us. I've preached this on the radio. And it's been a great source of encouragement and strength for countless numbers. Now, it's not been without its distractors. Often, my telephone, you call it and it will say, I'm sorry, the messages are full because people get very angry who listen to the radio and they call in and leave these nasty messages. And I sometimes just don't have the courage to empty my phone out so they can fill it up with another 50 messages. (laughs) But by God's grace, there are honest men and women who begin to understand and leave behind the foolishness that they were taught. Even as I left behind the foolishness of the Creflo dollars and the and the others of that, of that persuasion and began to seek honestly after Jesus. Now, one of the most painful parts of all of this was as Jan became sick, I was drawn back into the faith movement, as it's called, where the teaching is that the promises of God... All are mine. And that all I have to do is pray that promise and stand by faith and not doubt. And God will do it for me. And then I began to be encouraged by, as word spread that Jan was so sick, I began to be encouraged by friends from Bethel Church uh, in California. Uh, I was... Contacted by leaders of different movements in this faith movement. And they encouraged me to just stand by faith and that Jan would be healed. And they they spoke words of knowledge that she would be healed. And I'm being very straight with you now. Jan and I never did the work we should have done to prepare and say goodbye because we both stood absolutely without any wavering that Jan would not die, that she would live. And I did not believe that she would die until I held her in my arms that May 10 morning. And she took her last breath and was gone. And I immediately cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, will you resurrect her? Very quietly, he said to me, let her go. She's mine. And with tears, I let her go. And then the recriminations began to come from some even that were in this church. Who said, Pastor, if you'd had enough faith, Jan would have been healed. And some in this church began to say to me, Pastor, I don't have any confidence in you anymore because... You don't know how to stand by faith. And they left the church. And we lost another probably 25% of the church. Because they could no longer walk with me. Doubting my ability to stand by faith. I want to thank those of you who were with me during that time. For the incredible love and support you gave me in that incredibly powerful, hurtful time in my life. And some of you have said to me, Pastor, do you understand and realize you're not the same person you were then? <laughs> you can't go through the loss of your sweetheart and be the same person. You have to come to some understandings about reality and about life and about God. God. So a week ago, I was once more dealing with the Lord on this issue. And I said to the Lord, you have warned me about every major event that has happened in my life. Why didn't you speak to me and tell me that Jan was going to die? I prayed through that. There was no answer. And then I spoke with one of you who has been with me for some time. And you said to me, Pastor,
1: what are you talking about? Don't you remember what God said to you?
0: No, remind me. You had a dream. I said, I don't remember. You said... Pastor, about five years before Jan got sick, you had a dream. And suddenly it all flashed back. I was sitting on a couch, dressed in a coat and tie, and I was weeping. And then suddenly, as you do in a dream, I was myself, I was in myself, and I suddenly realized in my dream that I was sitting there, I was weeping because Jan had just died and I had just returned from her funeral. And I woke up. I shared that dream with the congregation, I shared it with Jan. And Jan and I sat and wept together and said, how how do we deal with this? And we both concluded that it was a dream from the devil and not from God and we should not pay any attention to it. And we promptly forgot it and never spoke of it again. That was a word from God. And then God gave, after Jan became so sick in November, she died in May, in November, God gave Jan a dream. And in the dream, she saw the glorious light of heaven shining down on a table with a communion set and one common cup. And she said it was so brilliant, it was blinding. And we, of course, interpreted that as meaning that Jesus was coming and he would heal Jan. We interpreted every word God gave us in light of what we wanted, not what God was saying to us. He also gave me another dream. I won't share it all, but we interpreted it the same way. That our faith was standing and we were not going to waver and Jan was not going to die. But she died. How do I make peace with that? I've struggled with that. I've agonized over it. I've wept over it. I've asked the Lord, does that mean that all the other promises you've made me are not going to come to pass either? And I would come to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 1, and I would read it, and I would not understand it. Probably of all the scriptures that I've read, Hebrews 11.1 has been the most difficult for me to understand. Let me read it for you from the King James Version. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've read that. I've read it. I've read it. I've read it. I've not understood it. It makes no sense to me. I remember when I was a little boy in school. And the teacher, it was time to learn long division. I think it was in the second grade. And the teacher explained carefully long division. And I sat there with my bright little face and a smile on my face like I was understanding everything that teacher was saying. And I wasn't understanding anything that teacher was saying. So the teacher picked on me. Raymond, you understand this, don't you? You're listening. Yes, I'm listening. Well, come up here on the board. Show us. I couldn't do it. Well, Raymond, sit down. And he gave us our assignment, all of these long division problems. And I went home, and I listened to my mama try to explain this to me. She's, she was a scientist. She tried to explain to me this long division. And then she sat me down at the kitchen table and said, Now, Raymond, you sit there and think about it, and you work on those problems. So I was sitting there thinking about it, working on those problems by not working on them. Finally got bored and pulled a slingshot out of my back pocket and a stone and shot into the next room where it hit a a glass canning jar and shattered it. And that was the end of my long division lesson by my mama. Do you ever feel like that when you go to scripture? You just can't get it. There's something there, but you can't grasp it until finally you just do something to distract yourself, get yourself into trouble, so you don't have to look again at what you don't understand. That's how I've been with Hebrews 11.1. Now, if you look at the NIV, it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So, okay, faith is being sure that Jan's going to be healed. That's what I'm hoping for. I'm absolutely certain it's going to happen, and it didn't happen. And I said, I have misunderstood Hebrews 11.1. 1. And i tried to forget it was in the Bible. In fact, if I would had scissors, I would have cut out the 11th chapter of Hebrews and thrown it away. Because it just doesn't work for me. I don't understand it. Faith is not something I've been able to gin up to a high enough level that I can accomplish what I want by going to God. And obviously, faith, as the faith teachers teach it, has a power of its own. And if you exercise the power of faith, nothing is impossible for you. That God used faith when he created the world. You can use the same faith and you can create your own world by positive affirmations. I know, I went through all of that. I thought I wanted a Mercedes, so I cut the picture of my Mercedes out and put it on my refrigerator, and every day I said, that's my car. No, it wasn't. He had me in a junker. And I've been driving junkers for the last 25 years. And finally, this beautiful junker that I have sitting out there has five oil leaks. The power steering has a leak and is going out. And the transmission is starting to go. And one of you were so kind, you offered me your new car to drive for this next week. And I said, I'm afraid to leave the junker. I'm going to stay right there in that junker until God decides I'm done with the junker. I could go to the dealership with a great credit rating and I could buy almost any car I'd like to buy with payments. You think I want to face $15,000 in payments? Do you know what the Lord would use that as a whip on my back? Maybe he won't on you, but on my back it would be a whip. No, I made a covenant. I would only receive from the Lord's hand what he would give me. So he's given me a junker. Thank you, Jesus. So I know that by faith, I can't force God to give me the new car. That is literally called, brothers and sisters, witchcraft. Witchcraft is when I use words, rituals, affirmations, and I try to force the spirit realm to produce what I desire. That's witchcraft. I now know that's not faith. The word faith comes from the Greek word pistis, which means to be absolutely convinced of, to be completely convinced. But faith has no power of its own. Faith simply is the lifeless hand that reaches out to the God of heaven and all of the power is in God. Not in faith. So then, actually for the first time, the Lord this last week began to open for me Hebrews 11.1. 1. And if you heard Wednesday's broadcast on the radio, that was the opening salvo of a new understanding that God has given me. And I want to share this with you. And you need a pencil and paper. You need to take some notes. You need to go back and check this for yourself. It is going to be something you probably have never heard before. But let me open it. Hebrews 11.1 Faith is the substance. Well, what does the word substance mean in the Greek? It means... Stay under. Stay under. As soon as I saw that faith means that substance means to stay under, I asked the logical question what am I supposed to stay under? If I am supposed to stay under faith, then I have to be a muscle man to work up faith so that it's strong enough for me to stay under. And Jan died. And that was as much of a muscle build-up as I could give it. And it failed. Now please, let me just say this. I have one interest in prayer. And that is that God answer my prayer. I don't pray as a ritual. I don't pray as an exercise of yoga. I don't exercise prayer because it feels good. Often prayer is the hardest thing I do in my life. It is hard work. Usually people do not pray because they don't have to pray. Usually if we pray, it's because we're desperate and we have to have an answer. And the rest of the prayers are just polite little shooting something at heaven saying, God, could I have a parking space, please? That's not prayer. Faith is is staying under. And because we are staying under, hope rises in our heart. What is the hope based on? Faith? No. And then it dawned on me, there's a word missing in chapter 11, verse 1. It's not a complete thought. And I asked the question, where does faith come from? Well, if you go keep your finger there in Hebrews 11, but if you go to Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 16 and 17, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Now, it's speaking about, let's go back to verse 14 to get the context. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one Of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So there is a bringing of good news by preaching, the foolishness of preaching. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, The Lord who has believed our message. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, the sermon, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, the word of Messiah. Word here in the Greek is rhema. Well, what is rhema? Rhema is the revelation of God. It is the breathed word of God. All of scripture is the rhema word of God. It is the revealed word of God. But then there is the personal breathe the word of God. Where God speaks to us. He'll quicken a scripture. He'll speak something that strikes our heart. He'll say, stop doing that. Don't go there. Go here. Do this. The Holy Spirit speaking in us speaks a rhema word to us. All faith is based, is foundationed upon a revealed word of God. Or it's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is based on the revealed will of God. God's revealed will to me was that Jan was going to die. And I said, I can't accept that. I want her to live. And so because I want her to live, I'm going to stand on the promises of God that she will live and not die. And so Jan and I searched out every scripture in the entire Bible that deals with healing. And we pronounced healing on her. We anointed her with healing. Others came in large numbers from other churches and from this church and prayed over her the word of faith the prayer of faith, it was ineffective. Why? Because it was not based on the rhema word of God to Jan. The rhema word of God to Jan was, you are going to die. We didn't agree with that rhema word of God. And we thought faith allowed us to stand on the promise and God would answer our prayer. See, faith cannot be used to get what you want. Faith is to be used with the foundation of the rhema word of God. With the expression of God's will. And until you have a rhema word from God, the promise will be ineffective. Now, I'm going to use Jan as an example again. I prayed using Mark 11, 22 through 24, for a year in God to bring my wife. And that promise was empty. And so I pushed God with it, and I pushed God, and I said, you have to answer because it's your word. You said that if I would ask and believe, you would do it for me. You said, command that mountain to be removed, and it would be removed. But I had no rhema word. God does not respond until it becomes a rhema word. And God finally spoke to me and said, I've chosen a wife for you, and if you will wait, I will bring her to you. Whoa. Now I had a rhema word from God. And for the next six months, I stood by faith on the spoken word of God. Faith was now activated and powerful. And six months later, I looked up and I saw Jan, whom I would not seen for 25 years. And the Lord said to me, there's your new wife, go meet her. And I was terrified and said, Lord, how do I go meet a woman and know she's my wife when I don't know her? I watched as God drew her heart to me and bound us together. And he said to me, propose to her. So the first time we spent time together, I proposed. And she said, yes. Insanity. It was God. And she was from Florida. She flew back home. And I said, Lord, I've just proposed to a woman I don't love. But because you chose her, you will give me love for her. It was an arranged marriage. You know, I'm a total proponent of arranged marriages when Jesus does the arranging.
1: (laughs) Every act of faith on your part must be based on a promise of God That he has
0: activated for you. Moved by the Holy Spirit. Quickened by the Holy Spirit. You can take a promise, any promise you want in Scripture, and begin to pray it. And if you're persistent enough, God might finally awaken it for you. But it's going to be a long time. He wants you to respond to his will as expressed by the Holy Spirit in quickening to your heart. The promise he wants to make to you. Now I'm going to go one more step today. In verse 2 it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. The word commended here is not the best word. It's a very narrowly defined commended. The word in the Greek literally means this is what the old men testified to. Maybe 71 is old enough to qualify me and now as an ancient. And what I'm doing to you today is testifying to you that God answered my prayer when I based it on a rhema word of God and did not answer my prayer when it was simply what I wanted. Okay? It's vital that we testify to what God has done for us based on his word. To build confidence in his word. But now let me take that next step. It says, verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen has not made out, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Total, total mistranslation and I've checked the commentaries, and I've checked almost every Bible, translates this the same way, and it is simply not what the Greek says. Now, I went to a trusted commentary, and this commentary said, God could not have meant this. The writer made a mistake. This word for universe, by faith we understand that the universe... The actual word in the Greek is not the Greek word for universe. The actual Greek word is aeons, or in English we would say eons. The actual Greek word means measurements of time. Measurements of time. Ages. Transitioning ages that the earth has gone through. And what he's going to say is that in every age, God has been moving to accomplish his purpose. But now watch. By faith we understand that the ages were formed at God's command. The command, the word command, you guessed it, it's rhema. It's rhema. By faith we understand that the ages were formed at God's rhema word. So, I had to go back and ask, what does formed mean in the Greek? The actual meaning of the word formed in the Greek is to adjust, to repair. Now, this is the heart of what you have to hear today. By faith, we understand that the ages were adjusted At God's rhema, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. In other words, this is the key text that explains the entire 11th chapter. As we go through, these men and women who stood by faith, these men and women heard the rhema word of God. They responded to that rhema word of God. And by their actions, the ages were adjusted or repaired to reflect the will of God. So God wants to speak his rhema word into your life. And by that rhema word spoken into your life, he wants to readjust America to reflect his glory. He wants to repair America to adjust to his will so that when people see the changes they're going to say how did that happen god sent whitfield george whitfield he sent john wesley he sent edwards jonathan edwards and the third great awakening why did the american revolution why did the american revolution not Come out like the French Revolution. The French were very much involved in the American Revolution. They sent money, they sent armies. Why did it end up as it did and not like the French Revolution in the age of reason? There were whole communities, whole large sections of America where there was not one Christian church. People were given to every filthy kind of habit. Drunkards, tobacco, immorality, beatings, fighting. Every unclean thing was done in these places. And then you have a John Wesley go into that area. And God would strike them with conviction of heart. They would turn from their sin. They would become righteous men and women following Jesus. The same happened with Whitfield. The same happened with Jonathan Edwards. A young man who wanted to marry Jonathan Edwards'
1: daughter died at a very young age. They lost this precious young man. All they could do was go and preach in the lumber camps
0: and to the Indians, the American Indians, and raise up churches. And because of the very difficult time physically and the sickness that came upon him, he sacrificed his life to turn the course of these villages and these camps of the American Indian. Contrary to what you may have heard, American Indians were very responsive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The American Revolution did not go the way the French Revolution did because of the powerful, God-filled, Holy Spirit-directed preaching of men and women who proclaimed the gospel in this land. There were no men and women to proclaim the gospel in France. We see Europe today collapsing. They have turned totally against the gospel. I'm crying out to God and asking, oh, God, don't let that happen in America. America is crashing,
1: morally crashing. God wants to adjust the age. By speaking to you a rhema word. That will cause you
0: to stand under faith that you will stay under that rhema word that God has spoken to you and pay whatever price you have to pay to let that word accomplish in the culture what he wants to accomplish. And how does he do it? Well, my sister today was very clear. A family member scorning the Lord
1: she wants to give her a piece of her mind and says, no, no, I can't do that. I have to pray. The
0: culture has changed one person at a time. As we pour out our hearts in prayer, standing under that rhema word, and because of that, we have the right to stand by faith that God will change that person's life and that person's heart, and he will do it. And all of us have our circle of influence that we're a part of where the change has to take place. All of the rest of chapter 11, you will find, are the stories of men and women who heard the word of God breathed to them. And they remained under that word. They submitted under that word and stood by faith with deep inner conviction that God would do what he had said he would do. I urge you not to take my word for this, but to go through these scriptures in Hebrews 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Go to a Strong's Concordance. Look up the words. You'll see it's all there. And begin to understand that you can live your life like a religious pagan in America today, and you can say, I'm a Christ follower, but you're not a Christ follower. You're simply a religious pagan. And you have no rhema word, and you have no power, and you're not standing in Christian faith. You're standing in Kundalini faith, witchcraft. We've got to be very, very clear and very deliberate about understanding where God is placing us and what His Word is to us. And some of you, like I with Jan, the Word of God has come to you and you've rejected it. You've refused to repent. You have refused to get serious and turn aside from the pet sins like the Pokemons. You know, Pokemon is just little pocket idols. I, I drove through Old Town Ocaquan. It's I could barely drive through Occoquan because there are groups of 10, 12, 15 people walking around and, and they're like this. And they're going this way and that way. They're searching out their Pokemon. I had to stop or I'd run over them. They're like lemmings. Insane. (laughs) If you want to see them, just drive down an old town Occoquan today. You'll see these insane people driven by idols looking after Pokemon. I'd heard about it, but I hadn't seen it until I drove there yesterday
1: just to be An observer. They're pocket gods. Some of you have pocket gods. You have things in your pocket that you love more than you love Jesus.
0: can be your comfort. I don't know what it is. It could be your
1: refrigerator. Whatever it is you worship other than Jesus. It's time to understand... That we live in the most vital age, and it's coming to an end. And Jesus is coming. And we can't afford pocket gods. And we can't afford witchcraft. We've got to walk in the power of the Spirit.
0: We've got to walk with the certainty of the Word of God being quickened in our hearts that God can change today as we stay under his promises and proclaim his righteousness in this wicked day. Now, I'm not going to pretend that the rhema word of God does not demand cooperation, courage, sacrifice, calls us to duty. The gospel of Jesus Christ is free. It just costs you everything. So
1: today, please, understand, faith must stand on a rhema word or it's not biblical faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this incredible revelation of truth. And I
0: pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would speak that rhema word of conviction, of direction, of help, whatever it is that each of us in this room need today to turn us from our pocket gods, to turn us toward heaven, That you could use us in the great work of redemption.
1: The adjusting of our age. To be according to your will. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
2: him for the victory he has won
0: Thank you once again for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us at
2: nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless.